Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Well, hello once again. Um, today we want to return to the study that we have been involved in, namely understanding spiritual gifts. This is our eighth message and we're going to try and wrap it up with this message. I know I've given you a lot to think about, and you have a lot of information in your handout and your notes uh, and uh, through the PowerPoint presentations that we've given. So we want to get back to our study, and I trust that um, this has so far helped your understanding of this extremely important subject as we finish up today, I can't help but think of the relationship between spiritual gifts and the holiday season. Uh, obviously, uh, during Christmas time especially, uh, we are into gifts and gift giving. Um, as I think about that, I'm reminded of all the gifts that I used to get as a child growing up. My mom, who is now with the Lord, just loved Christmas time. It was her favorite time of the year. And not only that, but she loved making Christmas the grandest celebration of the year. Totally superseded birthdays or any other holidays. And at that time, uh, none of us were Christians, and Christ was not a consideration at Christmas time for us. However, giving and receiving many, many, many gifts was. We were really into that. And as a child, I could never get to sleep on Christmas Eve until at least two or three o'clock in the morning. Do you know why? It was because I knew that Santa, or at least my parents, uh, was going to bring and place a whole ton of toys and presents under our Christmas tree. I mean, we're talking piles of presents that surrounded the tree, about uh, 10 feet in diameter and stacked two to three feet high. Plus, there was all the the loot in our Christmas stockings and all the fruit and candy and nuts piled uh, on the large plates that we uh, placed on the dining room table the night before. And that's why uh, that fleshly excitement was virtually unbearable, especially as a, as a kid. Uh, it's also why we would be awake at 4.30 a.m. and be up by 5 a.m. opening uh, our Christmas presents and as I think back on that, I was so absolutely spoiled. Uh, but since I've been a believer in the Lord Jesus, I have often looked back at that time and realized just how lustful and greedy and materialistic we were as we indulged ourselves in all those material goodies. Um, but don't get me wrong, I still give and receive Christmas gifts, but now I have a totally different perspective about it. And that is because I have received the greatest gift of all, the Lord Jesus Christ, salvation, and eternal life. And uh, I think of 2 Corinthians 9, 14 and 15, where the Apostle Paul, in reference to uh, the exceeding grace of God in you, uh, Paul says, thanks be to God for his unspeakable or indescribable gift. And in Ephesians 4, 7, and 8, Paul wrote, 
But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave what? He gave gifts to men. And as part of that grand, unspeakable gift of salvation and eternal life, included in that huge package are what Paul terms charismata, gifts of grace. And we've talked about that term. And as I thought about those again this week, I compared them to the material gifts that I used to uh, receive, that I used to excitedly look forward to and receive on Christmas morning. And I thought, Am I as excited about spiritual gifts as I was about those material gifts? You know, do I look forward to and get enthused about using and exercising my spiritual gifts for God's service and glory? And when I read that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, do I get excited and enthused about using and appropriating those gifts for the benefit of my brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. As I mentioned in another message, Timothy had become lax and timid and discouraged in the use of his gifts. And what did Paul say to him? He said, for this reason, I remind you to stir up, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control or a sound mind. And that's from uh, 2 Timothy 1, 6, and 7 from the ESV. I pray that as we have gone through the study, we would all become more enthused, more zealous, and more diligent in discovering and exercising our spiritual gifts for the sake of the kingdom of God. So let's talk about that very thing. This is point number 23 on your outline. We're making our way to number 25, but number 23 has to do with their discovery. How can I discover what my spiritual giftedness is? I want to give you a number of steps. I think there's 13 or 14 of them, and they're again on your outline. They're on your handout, and we're just going to go through those uh, together And uh, just as I have them on the handout, and I'm praying that you will uh, engage in these steps, that you'll put these into practice, and that you will know without a doubt uh, where you're gifted, uh, what your giftedness is, and um, how you can be used of the Lord. So let's start. Number one, first of all, pray. Pray for God's wisdom, direction, and help. You know, James 1.5 tells us, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And in Matthew 7, 7 and 8, Jesus said, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks, it shall be opened. So first of all, we need to pray and ask for God's wisdom. Uh, Also, in the area of giftedness, we need to study. Study. Study God's word so that you might know 
that you are gifted by the Holy Spirit. That's what we've been doing. And that you might understand what spiritual gifts are and how they work. Remember that the Bible not only will give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, but it also equips us for every good work. And you can read about all of that in 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16. You know, insights that you gain from studying the word of God will help you to discover what your spiritual giftedness is, which I guess is why we're all here uh, doing this study, right? To know your spiritual giftedness, you also need to do this. Present, not only pray and ask the Lord for wisdom and study the word, but present. Present yourself to God as living and holy sacrifices. That's what Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I think we've spoken uh, to this already, but it is certainly worth repeating. Notice how Paul's discussion of spiritual gifts is sandwiched here in Romans chapter 12, is sandwiched in between two major ideas of spiritual worship and sacrifice on the one hand and practical Christian living on the other. In fact, let me take us back to Romans 12 for a moment. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, notice how these ideas are put together here in Romans 12, 1 and 2. The will of God is to sacrifice all that we have, all that we are, our entire being to serve Christ. And then I'd like to look at Romans 12, 9, if we drop down to verse 9 of Romans chapter 12, it says this, Romans 12, 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. And as you look at that, um, you know, really what I want to do, yeah, 3, 9 to 21. Let's, let's read 9 to 21. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who curse you, bless and curse not. Excuse me, bless those who persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not, do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. 
Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so you have the will of God, total love, total devotion to uh, the body of Christ, uh, total devotion to the Lord, and then you have the right thinking and correct understanding of the Christian life um, also discussed there. And then as we go back, I'm going to go back to Romans 12, verse 3. Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. And there we read this. Romans 3, excuse me, Romans 12, 3 through 8. says this, For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And since we have gifts, and this is where we see the idea of spiritual gifts connected to the idea of presenting ourselves to God as living and holy sacrifices. He says, For since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And then verse 9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Before effective Christian living, and here's the point, before effective Christian living and service can occur, there must first be total and sacrificial commitment to God. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. And then proper thinking with regard to our gifts, as well as the proper exercising our, of our gifts, then that can take place. Then all the effective living and serving that Paul talks about in Romans 12, 9 to 21, and even beyond that, then that will be possible. But in the negative, without that total sacrifice of self and the proper understanding and exercise of our gifts, all of that other stuff, effective Christian living, is just not going to happen. The bottom line is that if we are to discover our gifts and serve effectively, we must first present, present ourselves to God as living and holy sacrifices to him. But there's something else that we need to do. 
And that is number, or letter D on your outline, be filled. Be filled. Yield to and be filled, totally controlled, in other words, with the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit can only flow through channels that are clear and yielded to him. Why would God ever reveal spiritual gifts to one who is not yielded and submissive to God's spirit? Why would God use a person's spiritual gifts if that person is not yielded to God's Holy Spirit? Well, of course he won't. Uh, In a nutshell, this filling of the spirit means saturating your mind and heart with the word of God, obeying the word of God, saying yes to the Spirit of God, saying yes to the will of God, and moment by moment, step by step, yielding to the power and promptings of the Spirit of God. And you will find that if you will read Colossians chapter 3 and compare it with Ephesians chapter 5, especially when Paul says in Colossians 3.16, to let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, And then Ephesians 5.18, he says, not to be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. You look at Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5, and you'll see that the results of being filled with the Word of God or the Word of Christ and filled with Holy Spirit, the results are exactly the same, which leads us to conclude that being filled with the word of Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit are virtually one and the same. I'd encourage you to take a look at that on your own. It's such an important uh, point. So again, the filling of the Spirit means, and I can't emphasize this enough, saturating your mind and heart with the word of God, obeying the word, saying yes to the Spirit of God, saying yes to the will of God, and moment by moment, step by step, yielding to the power and the promptings of the Spirit of God. If you're going to know and understand and exercise your spiritual gifts effectively, you must be Spirit-filled. And maybe we can look at that in more detail as we look at uh, that study on the filling of the Spirit, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, which is an entire, entirely different study. Another important factor in the discovery of your spiritual gift is that we be humble, that we be humble. Have a humble but realistic attitude as you consider and exercise your gifts. Uh, Romans 12.3 says, again, for through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And that means humble yet balanced thinking. When it comes to evaluating our spiritual capabilities, it's the idea of you don't think too highly of yourself, neither do you think too lowly of yourself. Think so as to have sound judgment, Paul said. And remember, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, I am what I am by the grace of God. He understood who he was and that 
whatever gifts and abilities he had was all by the grace of God. Honesty and accuracy must characterize our efforts to identify our spiritual gifts. You know, uh, I, I think of this kind of humorous story. A man who had a very high opinion of himself stepped on a coin-operated scale that dispensed a card giving his weight and comments about his personality. And after reading the card, he handed it to his wife. And he said, here, look at this. She took it and she read it aloud. You are a dynamic, born leader, handsome, and much admired by women for your personality. Giving it a second look, uh, the wife added, hmm, I see it's got your weight wrong too. Well, if we are not gifted in certain areas, we must not act like we are or think that we are. We must be realistic and honest before the Lord. But if we are gifted, then humbly praise God for uh, that. We know we are gifted to one degree or another. Then thank the Lord for how he has gifted us, how he has chosen in his sovereign will to do that and give him the praise. You know, a noted brain surgeon, Dr. Bronson, he was taking a stroll one day when he saw a boy on a scooter smash headfirst into a tree. And realizing that the boy was seriously injured, the doctor told a bystander to call an ambulance. And as he proceeded to administer first aid, uh, a boy not much older than the injured party nudged through the crowd that had gathered. And he said to Dr. Branson, uh, I'd better take over now, sir. I'm a Boy Scout and I know first aid. Well, that's just an illustration uh, where we need to, again, be humble. Ministry in, in and to the body of Christ is best served when believers concentrate their ministries in those areas for which they are most or best equipped. Because discovering your spiritual gift and understanding your spiritual gift, it's something God can reveal to you, uh, and it's something that he equips us with, and we need to realistically look at our gifts and then uh, put them into practice. Now, in discovering your spiritual gift, you also need to do another thing, and that is observe. Observe. Observe yourself and your desires, considering the creative restlessness and spiritual desires that you have to serve others in the body of Christ. And this is letter F on your outline. You see, when you delight yourself in the Lord, Psalm 34, says, he will give you the desires of your heart. And I would understand that to mean that when the Lord is our complete delight and focus, he both places the desires in our hearts that he wants there. And he also fulfills those desires for his purposes and his glory. So it's important, do that. Delight yourself in the Lord and then observe your desires, observe what you want to do and, and the restlessness that you have, the spiritual desires that you have to serve the Lord. 
Something else to do, letter G, and that is experiment. This is very practical, experiment. Get moving and get involved in serving the Lord with your whole heart as opportunities come your way, trying some things that you've never tried before. In other words, find something to do and serve the body, serve the Lord's people and do it. And as you do, the Lord and his people will reveal to you and affirm to you what your gifts are. Now, just a note, you are never too old to try something new. Take a step of faith and try something new and different in serving the Lord. You know, often, usually in local assemblies, local churches, the needs far outweigh the number of people that are available or willing to fulfill those needs. So try something new. Be willing to step out and uh, experiment a little bit. And as you do, uh, letter H on the outline, look for, look for a certain naturalness, satisfaction, and joy and fulfillment when serving in a particular area or way. Sometimes when you do that, uh, you'll you'll experiment a little bit and you'll you'll just kind of slip into your niche and uh, you'll say, you know, I'm comfortable doing this. The Lord is blessing me when I do this. And I, I, it just seems like a natural fit, a good fit. Uh, so that's important. When one is gifted by God in a certain area, he or she will sense a certain naturalness and comfort level uh, when they're ministering to others. Now, be sure to give that some time because it may take some time for that comfort level to come, uh, but it will as the Lord makes it clear to you what your giftedness is. And even if you're somewhat inexperienced and needing improvement, there will still be a sense of joy and fulfillment and satisfaction in what you do as you are doing what God designed you to do, what he gifted you to do. Letter I, you also need to recognize. Recognize where God seems to bless your ministry and give you a certain measure of success. Spiritual gifts bear spiritual fruit by God's design, right? And if you try something 10 or 20 or 30 times and you never see any fruit, it would probably be wise to try something else. And at this point, I would encourage all of us as believers to be loving toward one another, but absolutely honest with our fellow believers about their giftedness. We must be willing to tell other believers the truth about their giftedness or the lack thereof. If someone is trying to engage in a certain ministry month after month after month or year after year, and it's painfully obvious that they are just not gifted in that area, then please, for the sake of the body of Christ, tell them. Uh, also, for their sake, for their own sake, tell them so that people don't just sit back and kind of think to themselves, I wish somebody would tell them, you know. On the other hand, I want to encourage you, should you be on the receiving end of such a message where people are trying to politely tell you that you're not gifted in a certain area, Please be willing to listen and consider what others are saying and believe them when, when they have your best interests 
in mind. I know that your feelings may get hurt from time to time. However, it may very well be that God is trying to use those people and steer you in a different direction where he can use you much more effectively. Also, in seeking to discover your gift, you need to be aware, letter J on the outline, be aware of the confirmation of others in the body of Christ. And you'll find this in Acts 6, 1 to 6. Uh, That is, be aware of the positive affirmation and reinforcement that may come your way via others in the body. Don't let it go to your head, but be aware of it. When the apostles in Acts chapter 6 asked the congregation to choose those who could serve the needs of the Grecian widows, they chose men who were already known by other believers to be godly and gifted. Timothy, at least twice, had the had the great apostle Paul tell him that he, Timothy, was gifted. Paul told him that. Consequently, Timothy couldn't quit even if he wanted to. Uh, he certainly couldn't use as an excuse, well, I'm not gifted as a pastor and a teacher, because he was, in fact. In fact, Paul told him to use that gift, stir up that gift. Another way to discover your gift is in your own walk with the Lord, be sensitive. Be sensitive. Letter K on the outline, be sensitive to the Spirit's leading and to spiritual needs that you can meet. And I direct you toward Acts 16, 6 through 10. Paul and his brethren were sensitive to the Holy Spirit as they answered the call to Macedonia. And we too can develop our spiritual sensitivity to God's word and to God's spirit. And it's important that we do that. Be sensitive. Something else to do is notice. Notice, letter L on the outline, notice your desire to persevere in service. To persevere in service. Because when you exercise your spiritual gifts, there are going to be times where there is resistance, there is difficulty, Satan is hindering you, uh, people are hindering you at times, yet you, by the Spirit of God and, and his prompting, you persevere. Notice your desire to persevere even during the tough times. Those who serve in areas where they are truly gifted, tend to persevere over the long haul, not only in serving, but also in growing. The idea here is that as you serve and you encounter spiritual resistance and conflict, but you find yourself by God's power persevering, that fortitude is a signal that you are gifted in a certain area, or at least it can be. As you get involved in serving and exercising your giftedness, also be sure to do this, letter M, cultivate. Cultivate, develop, and sharpen your gifts as they become obvious to you. Read up on your areas of giftedness. Study those. And if you're one that's gifted in mercy and helps, read and learn more about that whole realm. If you excel in the areas of faith and giving or leadership and administration, then educate yourself in those areas. Don't rest on your laurels or uh, depend on your giftedness only. Learn from others 
who are gifted in similar areas. Study about it. Uh, learn from others who are gifted but are more experienced. You know, there are books and CDs and training seminars on spiritual gifts. Take advantage of all of those. Remember, Peter said that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Second Peter 3.18. So grow and learn and study those. Finally, I would use a very unpopular word, the E word, and that is exercise. Now, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, exercise. Exercise your gifts to the glory of God. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, and we've looked at 1 Peter 4 a number of times. Peter uses another E word, at least in the NASB. In 1 Peter 4, 10, he says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it or exercise it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold, grace of God. Good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And remember, just as is true with anything else, whether it is playing a sport or playing a musical instrument or doing a particular task at your job, the more you practice and exercise your giftedness, the better you will become at it. The better you'll become at it. Principle 24 has to do with this. Their exercise and use. So it's a natural transition here. Their exercise and use. Spiritual gifts are to be exercised according to biblical guidelines. And there are biblical guidelines for the exercise of our gifts. As you get involved in exercising your unique giftedness, keep in mind the biblical guidelines for doing so. As you serve the other members of the body of Christ, be sure to do so First of all, in a spirit of sacrifice, service, and worship. Now, we've seen that already in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Yes, exercising your spiritual giftedness does involve serving and building up the body of Christ. But ultimately, think about it. It's an act of worship to the Lord that involves personal sacrifice. Our time, our money, our energy, ourselves. That's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is all about. So exercise your giftedness. Uh, We would say this secondly, in accord with God's word, will, and ways, not those of this world. That's Romans 12, 2, isn't it? Exercise your giftedness in accord with God's word, will, and ways, not those of this world. You know, leaders are not to run a local church like a corporation or like the U.S. government runs the country. Uh, There are biblical guidelines for how leaders are to exercise their gifts of leadership, just as an illustration. Um, Remember that these grace gifts, these grace gifts are from God, not from the world. We are to also use our gifts to serve others Another guideline, letter C, in humility, not superiority. In humility, not superiority. Where we are humble, we realize we are what we are by the grace of God, and we're not superior to others because we're gifted by God. And then also exercise the gifts, letter D, in accord with what you have received by faith. 
That is, don't try to go beyond your giftedness and your abilities. For example, if you are obviously gifted in the areas of mercy and helps, don't start thinking that you're highly gifted in teaching and preaching and evangelism or the gift of prophecy. And then go off and try to be a missionary or a church planter or a great preacher. If you're not gifted that way, then uh, find out how you are gifted and exercise those gifts. Now, if God has gifted and called you to do some of those other things, to be a missionary, to be a preacher, to be an evangelist, then by all means do it. But again, don't try to do that which you're not gifted to do. Don't try to force the issue. You'll only bring pain and agony to yourself and quite possibly to others when you think about it. You know, I remember um, when I first met a brother in Grand Rapids uh, who has the gift of evangelism. His name is John Biorley, and he goes to college campuses and he preaches the gospel, and he's very good at it. And he invited me to go out to Lawrence, Kansas, to do some evangelistic work at the university out there. And he said, now, Mike, you can come up and help me and some others hand out uh, 10,000 pieces of gospel literature and kind of observe what we do on the college campuses. So I said, okay. And I went with him. We flew out to Lawrence, Kansas. Well, what I didn't know was that he was going to baptize me. You say, but Mike, uh, hadn't you already been baptized? Well, yes, I had as far as water baptism goes. But what he did was this. He was standing at the bottom of the steps of the student union building with probably 100 to 150 students sitting and standing there listening to him preach. So he launches into his open air preaching. And he did a marvelous job. Uh, but then he stops and he walks over to me and he says, now it's your turn, brother. You go over there and preach to them. And uh, I said, uh, what? Uh, and I had never done this ever before in my life. This is many years ago. Uh, but I don't have any notes. I don't have a PowerPoint. I don't have any handouts. You know. Um, but under great duress and the Biorley peer pressure, I gave it a shot. And I soon discovered that I do not have the gift of evangelism, especially when it comes to open-air preaching. In fact, that was the first time I had ever done such a thing. And I can guarantee you that at least on that day, I did not think more highly of myself than I ought to think. Uh, no, but we need to exercise our gifts. And this is the key phrase, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. As God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And that would be found there in Romans chapter 12. It's so important. That is, whatever we do in serving the Lord takes faith. It takes faith. But our trust in the Lord must be in accord with how he has gifted us and what he has called us to do. Now, to be a little more specific, if you're involved, for example, in giving, here's another guideline, do so with liberality, Romans 12.8. That is, be generous. If you're involved in leading, do so with diligence. Again, Romans 12, 8. That is, work hard at it. If you're involved in showing mercy, do so with cheerfulness. Romans 12, 8. 
not with anger or resentment or complaint or complaint or reluctance, but with cheerfulness, a cheerful attitude. And above all, no matter what your giftedness, be sure to serve and minister in Christ-like love. That's letter H on the outline, in Christ-like love. Because as Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3, even if we are extremely gifted in the areas of tongues, both human and angelic, prophecy, and know all mysteries and all knowledge and have all the faith possible, and if we sacrifice all that we have, including our lives, but we do not have the love of God at the core of all we do, then we just make a lot of noise, Paul says. And a lot of noise and racket. He says, we are nothing. And what is more, no one profits from what we do, including ourselves. Well, this brings us to our last principle. And that is number 25, the need for training. And by training, I would mean as an equivalent word, a synonym, equipping the need for training or equipping. Every believer in Jesus Christ needs to be equipped and trained to effectively use his or her spiritual gifts or giftedness. That single gift made up of all those different uh, shades of giftedness. One writer has said that pastors and teachers need to see themselves primarily as lamplighters rather than torch bearers. Let me read that again. He has said that pastors and teachers need to see themselves primarily as lamplighters rather than torch bearers. Now we have seen that every Christian is a charismatic in the sense that he has been grace gifted, charismata, grace gifted by God, And we have also seen that every Christian is a minister, not a clergyman, but a servant. That word minister in the Bible means servant, as we have learned. But we must also mention the corollary truth to that. And that is every Christian must be trained and equipped to effectively use the gifts that God has given to him or her. Think about this. And by the way, that's from Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. But think about any major activity that human beings engage in in this world requires some kind of training, whether it's your job, whether it be the military, the realm of medicine, uh, the National Football League or any professional sport, operating a stamping machine in an auto plant, Uh, cooking at a nursing home, driving a gravel train like my son-in-law used to do, being a high school janitor, working as a nurse or a doctor, providing uh, service for septic tanks, flying a jet airliner, flipping burgers at McDonald's, whatever the job or task, some amount of training and equipping is required, right? And the same is true in the spiritual realm. Members of Christ's body in local assemblies, need to be motivated and trained and equipped for active duty. And in far too many cases, local assemblies and the people in them resemble the National Guard with its weekend warriors who 
go and they drill once a month on a weekend and for two weeks each year in the summer. Now, please don't take me wrong. I'm not against the National Guard. I'm all for it. And I appreciate the service those men provide. Um, And I'm not being disrespectful here because I think the reserve branch of our country's armed forces is very important. Again, I appreciate all that you do, all that these men do and men and women do. And if you're in that situation, you've already, here's the point, you've already been trained to do your job. My point is simply that when it comes to being Christians, we all are to be involved in full-time active duty, whether we work a secular job or not. We cannot continue to be like those uh, 50,000 spectators in the stadium who desperately, someone has said, uh, that a football game is comprised of 50,000 spectators who desperately need exercise and they sit and watch 22 men on the field who desperately need rest. In other words, Christianity, especially life in the body of Christ, is not a spectator sport. Uh, And if we continue in the spectator mode, we will not be effective in using our spiritual gifts. But instead, we must be on active duty. But for that to happen, we must be trained and equipped as soldiers. In order for Christians to be truly sharp and effective while on active duty, our local Christian fellowships must become drill halls, if you will, training schools, boot camps, places where they can be equipped in terms of discipleship and the word of God. And I am convinced that at least one of the reasons we have so many spectators sitting idle in our local churches is because we have not adequately trained them to engage in the conflict, to engage in the battle. And even even we who are full-time Christian workers and elders, uh, those who are gifted men that are pastors and teachers in the assemblies, they have, I fear, made the mistake of doing the work for the people rather than training and equipping them to do the work themselves. We need to train the saints. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 4, equip the saints to do the work of the service, the work of the ministry. And folks, it's a big mistake Uh, a giant mistake if we do the work ourselves and we don't disciple people and train people to do the work. In fact, that is not a whole lot different from what the typical evangelical church does. We have the paid professionals, the paid clergymen, and we pay them and people pay them very well sometimes to do the work of the ministry when we should be equipping believers in Christ, the saints, the holy ones to do the work because God has equipped every single one of them to do that work. That's that's where we waste time and energy because you've got all these gifted people in the body of Christ, uh, but so many of them so many times are not doing the work because they haven't been equipped to do it by, by uh, pastors and teachers. I trust that you would all agree that biblically speaking, there is no such thing as a part-time believer priest, if I can use that terminology. But too often in our churches, 
being a Christian is a spectator sport, a once a week on Sunday only, maybe Wednesday night only activity. And these days, for some, it seems to be a Sunday morning only activity. Now, why is that? Well, because in large measure, it is because for too many years, we have not provided adequate and biblical teaching, training, and equipping in a very practical sense in our local churches. And people cannot, please get this very important point, people cannot be expected to do what they do not know how to do. People cannot be expected to do what they do not know how to do, what they haven't been trained to do. You know, it's amazing to me that Christian businessmen know that if they want their business to be successful, they have to provide adequate training for their workers and employees. And if you expect someone to run a machine or perform a task or service, you have to train that person in how to do that. That's just common sense. Obviously, we need to apply that same common sense to Christians in the local church. If we don't, they will not know how to do what we expect them or ask them to do, and they will not know, they will not do what we expect from them. Do you want effective Sunday school teachers? Then you'll need to make sure that in some way they are equipped and trained. Do you want to develop preaching and teaching gifts among men in your assembly? Then you will need to, in some way, train and equip them in how to do that. Do you want people who are gifted in visitation, serving others, encouragement, leadership, etc.? Then you will need to do the same. Teach, train, and equip them for ministry. God is not asking us to gift them. He does that. The Holy Spirit does that. But on the other hand, he expects pastors and teachers and elders to train and equip others in how to exercise their gifts. I'm afraid if the truth be known, we've got a lot of very gifted people sitting around in our assemblies who are doing that partly because they have been taught and trained, uh, excuse me, they have not been taught and trained and equipped to exercise their gift or giftedness. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but let me ask this, and you can answer it in your own mind. How many of you have been in local churches or assemblies that have provided systematic teaching and training to the point that believers are equipped to do the work of the ministry. If you are like most, many of you would probably not be able to say, well, yes, I have. Yet the word of God is clear. Gifted men, such as evangelists, pastors, and teachers, have been given by God to the church for the training and equipping of the saints so they can do the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ, Paul says. You know, for many years I have had the conviction that no Christian should have to go off to a Bible college somewhere to get a Bible education or to be equipped and trained in the use of his or her spiritual gifts. I'm not saying I'm against Bible colleges uh, or even seminaries. I'm saying that no Christian should have to 
go off to a school like that to be equipped to exercise his or her gifts. And the reason I believe that is because God has designed, gifted, he has designed, he has gifted, and he has commanded his people to provide such training in the local assembly. And if we would follow that design and obey that command, we would have far more effective Christians as well as far more effective assemblies. We would also have far less believers leaving local assemblies because they just can't take it anymore in terms of uh, their response. You say can't take what anymore? Well, it would be a number of things. It might be, and I've heard these things, it might be spiritual boredom, man-made traditions, spiritual malnutrition because of not being fed well from the word of God by effective teachers, an environment of spiritual apathy and weakness, etc. In many cases, such things have resulted from the fact that people's spiritual gifts have not been developed, used, sharpened, and exercised with great effect. And this is exactly why we've decided um, to start a preaching and teaching class uh, in, in our Grand Rapids area. At least we we had actually we've already done that, um, and it it was good. It was a good thing to have, and uh, we we believe that that is very important, and that is a, something that's necessary. And if we could only see that done in many other assemblies, I think it would be it would be great. Well, I close with what I hope will be a challenging question. And the question is this, are you certain that you want to know, understand, and exercise your spiritual giftedness? I'll say it again. Are you certain that you want to know, understand, and exercise your spiritual gifts or giftedness? And if so, are you willing to pay the price? If so, are you willing to step up and meet your responsibility? A man by the name of Donald P. Smith once offered this challenge for us to consider, and I share it with you here. He wrote, if we want to become a ministering congregation, are we willing to pay the price? When our Lord was about to heal the man beside the pool, he asked a strange question. Do you want to get well? He had been crippled 38 years and healing would place this man back into the world where he would have the responsibility for himself. He would have to pay a price for getting well. Smith then asked, are we deeply enough committed to becoming God's active people that we are willing to pay the price? The price of knowing, understanding, and exercising our spiritual gifts most likely includes commitment of time, energy, money, and self, self-sacrifice, sacrifice of sleep, personal comfort, personal interests, hobbies, and recreation, etc. All for the sake of serving and edifying others in the body of Christ. So again, are we willing to pay the price for the sake of Christ and for the sake of his body? 
Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time we've spent together. Uh, You've challenged us in a number of ways, and you've blessed us with these spiritual gifts, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And you've told us that you have granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Oh, Lord, help us to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God and to take these wonderful gifts that you've entrusted to us and use them for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of the body of Christ, and for the glory of God in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.